Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day to all of you who are fathers. Uh, all of us, whether we are fathers or not, we've had a father, whether a good one or not, or perhaps a father figure in our lives. Many of us have had the privilege of serving as father figures in the lives of others. Whatever the case may be, we hope that everyone has a wonderful Father's Day today. One day back in 1988, Pat O'Donnell of Andover, New York, clandestinely and anonymously hid a photo of his late father, Joe O'Donnell, in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. Six years later, by chance, a museum curator discovered the photo, which showed the elder O'Donnell in a Sinclair Refinery baseball team uniform with a bat thrown over his shoulder. But what told the curator that he'd found something special was the words written on the back of the photo. It said, you were never too tired to play catch. On your days off, you helped build the Little League field. You always came to watch me play. You were a Hall of Fame dad. I wish you could share this moment with me. Your son, Pat. It took some doing. Even the publication of the photograph in Sports Illustrated, but eventually the identity of the father in the photo was discovered along with the identity of his son, Pat. And the story sort of took on a life of its own. It went to viral to a degree and, and Pat was tracked down. He was interviewed on various shows and in various sports publications. In fact, Pat wound up throwing out the first pitch in Cooperstown at the first ever Hall of Fame classic baseball game. And it was on Father's Day. And Joe O'Donnell remains right where his son put him in the Hall of Fame. The curator placed the photo near the spot where Pat originally had hidden it, and he included a note explaining how the photo was found and what feelings and emotions it stirred up when it was read. Joe O'Donnell, a Hall of Fame dad. There's another Hall of Fame dad in one of Jesus' parables that we're going to look at this morning. It's one of the most moving stories ever told about a father who had two sons, and it's known as the parable of the prodigal son, but really both of those boys were prodigals in slightly different ways. But the real star of the show is their father. It is his character, it is his love, it is his heart that we most need to understand from this story because the father in this story represents our own heavenly father. So I invite your attention with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 as we prepare to look at a very famous story that starts in verse 11. But I want to read the first couple of verses of the chapter before we move into the story. So we'll start in verse 1. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> the Bible says, 
now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We drop down in verse 11 to hear Jesus tell this story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said... You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you. Please take your seats. Now, this story that Jesus tells has... A father, a man who had two sons, and the younger son started to think that things around home didn't look all that inviting. After all, he was feeling constrained, a little restricted. He wanted to get out and spread his wings. He wanted to, to get out from under dad's rules and, and dad's regulations and find his own way in the world. And he was smart enough to know that the Jewish laws about inheritance entitled him to a third of his father's estate. So he asked his father for it, and his father let him have it. And not long after that, he decided to hit the road, to get out of there and find his own way. And 
His father was no doubt sad, concerned, worried about his well-being, about his future. But the boy grants, uh, the father grants the boy's request because there are some lessons in life that we just have to learn ourselves. And the father, wise as he was, knew that and let the boy go. Now this boy is a picture of each of us in our rebellion against our Father. God, our Heavenly Father, knows that we have to learn lessons on our own as well. He gives us the freedom to turn away from Him, from His home, from what He has intended for us from the dawn of creation. We were made for God. We were created to have fellowship with Him. And He seeks that relationship with us. We were not made for sin or death or hell. It is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and have fellowship with God for all eternity. At home with our Heavenly Father is where we belong. But often we have to learn that lesson the hard way. So this boy leaves. He heads out. He packs up his stuff and he hits the road. And as the sun begins to get low in the sky, he, he stops his travel for the day. He pulls out the bologna sandwich that he made before he left. And, and as he eats it, he, he remembers the the big spread that was always there at home, the, the hot meal. But, but he says, I'm good, I'm free, I'm going to make my own way. Uh, that's all in the past now. And when he gets ready to go to bed, he rolls out his sleeping bag on the cold, hard ground and, and starts to think, boy, it sure would be nice to have my warm, soft bed that I've got at home out here. But, but hey, it is what it is, and I'm going forward. I'm going to find my way. I'm going to make my own life. I'm going to make a name for myself. They'll all be sorry that I've left. All this while, the devil is lying to him. He's saying, you know what? You can go home anytime you want. There's, home is always there. You need to be going and finding out what you're made of. You need to see the sights. You need to see the world. You need to enjoy life for a while instead of living back there under all of those rules you can always go home and so the boy gets to the far country eventually and according to what jesus says he lives wildly whatever that is intended to mean and eventually he comes to the end of his resources he's out there in the far country while meanwhile back at the ranch Dad is there scanning the horizon, looking for his son, hoping against hope that his son will come home, that his son will return. You parents out there know how that feels, especially if you have a, a child who is in the far country, far from you and your, your protective oversight, your caring concern. That's how this father felt. It's how our Heavenly Father feels. He he seeks a relationship with his children by waiting and watching for his children to come home. And sometimes it takes what happened to this boy for it to happen. As I said, he came to the end of his resources. He had lots of money when he left, and because he had lots of money, he gathered around him lots of friends, no doubt, because 
You can always find friends when you've got money and are willing to spend it on them. But then he ran out of money and a famine came. And lo and behold, his friends had all disappeared. They were nowhere to be found. In order to feed himself, in order to keep from starving to death, he had to hire himself out to a Gentile pig farmer. The reason I know he's a Gentile is because there weren't any Jewish pig farmers. Swine were unclean animals to the Jews, which is all the more humiliating to him in this circumstance, out there in the hog pens, starving, wishing he could eat the pods that he was feeding the pigs, but the Bible says no one gave him anything. And because he had sunk to the very bottom, he finally recognized what was going on, and he came to his senses, the Bible says. He came to himself, and he admits where he is. He says, I'm, I'm out here in a hog pen feeding pigs, broke hungry. Meanwhile, my father's servants back home have more than enough to eat. They have an abundance. They have a surplus. And here I am starving to death. And he has the good sense to recognize it and to acknowledge it, admit it. And he decides to return to his father in a spirit of repentance. He even rehearses this speech that he's going to give when he gets there. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called one of your sons. Just make me as one of your hired men. He decides to go home. Until you come to the same realization in your life that you in your lostness need help, need a Savior, then you can never return home to the Father who loves you. You have to admit where you are before you can ever escape. Even if you have a map that shows you where the promised land is, until you figure out where you are, you won't know which direction to go to get to the destination. You have to acknowledge where you are before you can go home. And this boy had good sense to do it. You notice, he didn't go home to say, Well, you know, Dad, it's not really my fault that I was in the far country. That really wasn't on me. You know, if, if Big Brother had treated me better, uh, I would never have left. That's not my fault. But you know what? I'm here, Dad, back home to give you guys a second chance to treat me the way I want to be treated. No. He didn't say that. He knew better than to say that. He acknowledged what he had done. He said, I have sinned against heaven and against you. You were made for God, but you're going to remain in the hog pens of hell, unable to come home if you refuse to admit that you have sinned, that you knew better when you did it, and that you need a Savior. You just agree with what the Scripture tells us. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In 1 John, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we claim not to have sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and His Word has no place in our lives. That's the testimony of the Word of God. We have to come to the point where we recognize it, and acknowledge it, and agree with it. You can come home when you admit where you are. 
What's hard about that for so many people is that their hog pen doesn't necessarily look like a hog pen to them. Your hog pen may be a penthouse. It may be a mansion. You may have shiny new cars filling up the garage. You may have a house full of beautiful furniture, a closet full of fine clothes, but it's still a hog pen if God isn't there. It's still the far country, no matter what it looks like. Christian, are you involved in some sin that is robbing you of your joy and your victory, causing your relationship with your Heavenly Father to grow cold? Because you've strayed away from home, strayed out of the Father's house. You're never going to be able to come home to God and do the works you did at the first until you admit that you have sinned against God and knew better when you did it. Coming home to the Father is all about dealing with sin, being broken and transparent with yourself and with your Heavenly Father, the God who loves you as His child. And so the boy, recognizing his sin, he takes the initiative and he repents. To repent, as you know, is to turn away from something. Repentance is essential. Repentance is necessary. You'll notice the father doesn't go to the hog pen and drag him back home kicking and screaming because he knows that the boy's heart has to turn away from it for him ever to return home. If his heart is still there, it doesn't matter where his body is. And so repentance has to happen. You have to repent to return. And now as the boy has decided to do that, the devil starts telling him a new lie. The devil says, well, you can't go home now. Look at all you've done. You've got to clean up first. Your daddy's never going to let you come home until you deserve to come home. You can't go home now. He's flipped the script, hasn't he? And isn't that just like the devil? And unfortunately, there are too many prodigals in our world today who still believe that lie. That they've got to get their lives in order. They've got to straighten up. They've got to get clean. They've got to get sober. They've got to get straight before they can come home to their Heavenly Father and, and unite with His people in His church. And sadly, there are too many church people who reinforce the lie of the devil by telling them, whether with words or attitudes, that until they look like us and dress like us and talk like us and live like us, well, they're just not welcome here. Don't do the devil's work for him. Don't propagate the devil's lies. Your heavenly Father has loved you. He's received you. You need to be loving and welcoming and open and, and, and encouraging to those prodigals who who want to come home and don't know how. This boy returns to the father, it says. But the father sees him from afar. That tells us that he's scanning the horizon looking for the boy to come home. And when he sees him, he runs to him, it says. Now, you've got to realize how significant that is. For a, for a well-to-do landowner patriarch in that time, that culture, to run anywhere would have been seen as undignified. And yet this father is so excited, so thrilled to see his boy coming home that he runs out to him. He can't wait to get there. 
And he throws his arms around him and he kisses him in verse 20. This boy starts to say his rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father interrupts. Sins for the fattened calf. He, he, he's in a sense saying to the boy, shut your mouth. You're my boy and you're home. Hallelujah. Strike up the band. Kill the fattened calf. He was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. This father gives the boy a kiss rather than condemnation. He throws him a party rather than putting him on probation. And he gives him public signs of sonship. To show everyone that he's been reinstated. He gives him the finest robe. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet. It is unconditional love. That's the love God has for us. Unconditional. Because you see, God loves you as you are. Not as you ought to be. You don't have to get cleaned up first. You don't have to get your life in order first. God loves you as you are. He loves you too much to leave you as you are. But He loves you as you are, not as you should be. He won't love you any more when you get rid of your sin than He does while you're in it. You just won't be able to enjoy that love because of the conviction of sin in your life. The love is still unconditional. He doesn't love you any more when you come to church than when you don't come to church. You just won't be able to sense His love through these other believers if you're not here to experience it. God doesn't love the saved any more than He loves the lost. God loves even those who shake their puny fists in His face and turn and, and march decisively and, re and rebelliously straight into the pit of hell. God loves everyone. He's not willing that any should perish, the Bible says. And it breaks the heart of God that there are those who will never admit their sin and come home to the saving love of their Heavenly Father. It breaks His heart. But this boy comes home. He has the sense enough to do it. And the father rejoices. But notice, this, this father didn't say to the boy, Son, welcome home. In order to make you feel more comfortable, we're going to put some mud in your bedroom. And we'll tie some pigs outside your window so you can hear them squeal. And, and maybe you'll feel more comfortable then. Of course not. The rules at the father's house have not changed one bit. It's the boy who has changed. And that's cause for celebration. The father knows it. That's why he's rejoicing. That's why he's celebrating. Not everyone in the father's house was celebrating, though, were they? There's another prodigal son in this story. And he became prodigal even though he never left home. Verse 28, when he hears about what's going on, why there's why there's a party, that the fattened calf has been killed. He gets angry. He's offended that the father in his generosity, in his love, in his grace, might treat his brother so generously. It offends him somehow, some way. 
and he refuses to go in. He stays outside and pouts. In verse 29, there's even more whining that we read about. He, he says, look, Dad, all these years I've been slaving for you. Did you notice that word, slaving? That's how he views the work that he gets to do in the Father's house. I never disobeyed your orders, but you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Poor boy. Slaving in the father's house. Notice the contrast between these two sons. While the younger son was in a faraway land, he couldn't stop thinking about home. He knew that wasn't the place for him. He was thinking about home. He wanted to go home, but he... He just he didn't know quite how. And he represents the tax collectors and the sinners that were coming to listen to Jesus, that Jesus was pointing the way, how to get home to the Father. And then the older son, he was right there under the Father's roof, but his heart was far away, much farther away than the boy was. And he represents those Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, the church people, the ones who were in the temple every day, but whose hearts were far from God. And then the younger boy, he, he should have been a slave after what he had done, but the father, he reinstitutes him. He gives him his status back as a son. And the older son, he should have been, he should have been a son, but instead he'd made himself a slave. What an irony that is. He says to the father in verse 30, this son of yours, not brother of mine, this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes. Now, he didn't know that. It wasn't like the younger brother was writing letters home saying, Dad, you just won't believe how friendly the women are over in this far country. He didn't know that. And so often when we judge others, we reveal more about our own hearts and our own attitudes than we do about those we judge. That's what he would have done if he'd been in the far country. And so he just assumed that's what little brother must have done. So he remains jealous and self-righteous and in many ways more prodigal than that boy had ever been because though he is physically near the father, his heart is in the far country. And it's hard for those who are self-righteous to come home because they can't admit that they're far away. But for those who do come home, whether from far or near, oh boy, how the father celebrates. He pulls out all the stops. In fact, in, in the story we didn't read just before this one, at the, at the conclusion of it, the, Jesus says, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He pulls out all the stops. He brings out the robes and the rings and the sandals. He kills the fattened calf. And he says, this is my boy. He was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, now he's found. This is my son, this is my boy. And we're supposed to confess our faith in him, but the father confesses the boy as he confesses us. 52 years ago next month, as a nine-year-old boy, I came home to my heavenly father. 
I recognized even at that young age that I was a sinner, that I did wrong things, that I needed the Savior that God had provided for me. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to be with God. And so I invited God to save me. I asked God to save me and put my faith in His Son. And, and I went forward in church during the invitation time to make public my decision for Christ. And Dr. John Wesley Dowdy, my pastor at the time, shared with the whole church that I had invited Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And the next Sunday I was baptized in the church baptistry. But the best part of all of that is this. When I came and said, Father, I'm a sinner and I want to be saved. My Father God picked me up in His arms. And He declared publicly and openly for all eternity to hear, This is my boy Tommy. And over the course of those 52 years, I've been a wayward boy and a disobedient boy. And I, I've said and done things I never should have said and done and knew it was wrong when I did it. And I've failed to do things that I should have done and said. But in spite of all of that, the ups and the downs, never once has my Father God disowned me or said, that's not my son. Not one time. That's what it means to be saved. To come home to a heavenly Father who is waiting to receive you. To get right with God. To establish a relationship with Him. The relationship He created you to have. That's the nature of the love of God. To live as a favored child in the home of our loving heavenly Father. And have Him say, that's my son. That's my daughter. Those are my children for all of eternity. And I'll tell you, the Father celebrates the salvation of His children. The angels of heaven are leaning over the portals of heaven, even at this moment, hoping against hope that someone's going to get saved so they can strike up the band and start the party. The Almighty God of the universe is a loving Heavenly Father who seeks a relationship with His children, who celebrates the salvation of His children, and who is saddened by the indifference of so many of us that we show toward His redemptive mission in the world. More concerned about trivialities than we are welcoming the prodigal's home. Jesus said that His mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. Have you strayed away from the Father? If only in your heart, have you wandered away from home? Then come home today. Your loving Heavenly Father awaits you on this Father's Day. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is for us to call you Father. You have loved us with an everlasting love. You have given us the freedom and free will to choose for ourselves. And like our father Adam, we have chosen the wrong path so many times. 
Father, for, for those who are in the far country, either physically or in our hearts, God, I pray you might draw us back to you today. Lead us to come home and to receive your welcome, to experience your grace and forgiveness, to join in the party. God, make it so in this place today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation and response.